The contents of this podcast are provided for general information and educational purposes only and do not constitute investment, accounting, legal, tax or other professional advice. Welcome to the Money Magnet Podcast, helping you attract and keep a fortune that counts with co-hosts self-made money magnet Steve McKnight and esteemed journalist Rowan Wen. Hey, Steve. Hi, Rowan. And hello, listeners. This is the Money Magnet podcast, where we're exploring Steve's latest book, Money Magnet, how to attract and keep a fortune that counts. And in this episode, we're going to talk about pedigree. Now, Rowan, I need to ask out of the gate, you right. have confessed that you like to eat no, occasionally. As a, as a child, I <laughs> ate Goodos occasionally with my dog because I love my dog and she loved Goodos. But I understand pedigree is a dog food brand. Did you ever try pedigree? Uh, I did not. <laughs> are we getting a deal from pedigree? Are we it's, it's the, well, thing, well yeah. maybe it's not too late. I wasn't going to admit this, but I'm now going to admit it. Right? right. I, I'm, I'm struggling not to laugh as I'm I admit worried. this. At the place where I work, they've got a little... <laughs> I can't help myself. You're laughing at your own jokes, <laughs> no, the audience this is isn't true. laughing. This they is need, true. They need to hear the they've, joke before they've they got, laugh. I'm just seeing myself doing this. They've got little doggy biscuits that oh, they yeah. cut in half so that they encourage people to come down with their dog and you get a coffee. And, and I thought, if it's good enough for Rowan, I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> They're pretty bland, aren't and they? And I did. I actually munched on a bit of dog biscuit and thought Hang I wonder. On. I was three, right? <laughs> How old are you? A, a little bit older than three. Well, you're a coffin dodger, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> but I was wondering... I wonder what these things taste like. So, and? yeah, I mean, I only had a little nibble. I didn't chew the whole thing. <laughs> right. But I was like, meh, you're right. It's pretty bland. Yeah. I was expecting it to be like meaty or something like that. I and, know. And you think these poor dogs, no wonder they don't look too happy. No, it's probably full of filler and well, all sorts of things. Well, that's quite the revelation, mate. But speaking of dogs, if you were a dog, what kind of dog would you be? Because it's pedigree. If and I was a dog. dog and, if I was a dog. Yeah. Would I'd you be a, a thoroughbred or a mongrel? I'd, I'd be a dog owner. You'd be a dog owner. I wouldn't be the dog. <laughs> Talk about rephrasing the Actually, question. No, I'd be, I'd, I love my daisy dog. So I've got a caboodle and she is the best dog in the history of all dogs ever. So not only a thoroughbred, but you would be an exotic thoroughbred. Yes. Yes, I possibly would be. <laughs> that doesn't sound very good out loud, does it? No. Uh, gonna re- what about yourself? What dog would you be? We're going to re-nickname you to Pampa. <laughs> <laughs> Princess the puppy. Now, who would you be? You know, preparing for this podcast, I've had a bit of time to think about it. I would have a bit of thoroughbred in me, but I think I'd be more mongrel. Yeah, yeah. I've often called you mongrel. Mongrel. (laughs) Such a mongrel. (laughs) That makes sense. People say that a lot about you, actually. So we've got got princess and mongrel. Welcome to the the podcast. (laughs) That's like the lady in the tramp. (laughs) Okay, lady. That's that movie for the kids at home that don't know what I'm talking about. It's a 1980s film from, I think, Disney. Hmm. Anyway, why are we talking about dogs? You didn't write a book about dogs. I didn't write a book about dogs. I wrote a book about money matters. And really what we're talking about today when we talk about pedigree is your DNA. and Ah, your breed, your DNA. That's right, your Got pedigree. It. How's your financial pedigree? Are you a thoroughbred or are you a mongrel? Just a saying that's popped into my mind is often I say to people, you are a thoroughbred, so don't do pony rides. This yeah. notion that you're a thoroughbred horse, get out on a track and race. Don't yep. be someone that just gets, you know, led around doing little pony rides for kids. Which reminds me of that phrase, give a dog a bad name. If you think you're a mongrel, you'll be a mongrel. But you could actually be a thoroughbred. Who knew? Maybe deep down inside I am. But <laughs> with this, row and our discussion today, I mean, do you look more like your mum or your dad? Uh, or the milkman? Well, 
That's a bit of a slur on mum, actually, mate. No. Do you want to ring my mum now? Maybe the milkman was a lady. That'd be the milk lady, wouldn't it? <laughs> or woman. Now, I look like I've got my dad's colouring. My daughter actually is quite grumpy with me because she got her mum's colouring, which is kind of pasty. Whereas my boys have got my sort of olive skin, which tans very well and seems to be de vogue at the moment. So I do regret. Every listener will have inherited biological DNA from one of their parents and they will look you? more like, look like their mum or dad. I'm probably more a mum's side of the family, whereas my brother looks more like dad's side of the family. There you go. Hmm. That's your DNA. And just like you inherited some biological DNA, you will have also inherited, perhaps not the same chromosome kind of way, but some financial DNA. All right. Now, what is financial DNA? Yes. Well, there's two parts to your financial DNA. It's what I call your financial IQ, which is the way you think and act around money. IQ, yep. And your financial EQ, which is your emotional intelligence, which is the way that you feel about money. Which obviously informs both, right? The way you feel informs your IQ. Because if you're scared of money, you're not going to be smart with money. That's right. They are definitely related. And then combined, your financial IQ, think and act, and the financial EQ, feel, form your financial habits and your behaviours. Yeah, right. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. Mm. And often we don't think about it, right? We just think, oh, we are the way we are because we are that way. But no, you've been shaped that way over time. Have I? Mm, You have. You have too? I have, absolutely. I'm a strong influence from watching my mum and dad struggle with money growing up and not wanting to have that struggle in my own life and being motivated to do something about it. But dad taught us, by example, that the way to get ahead was to work hard. And in order to get money, you had to earn it. So often people from that kind of background feel that if they want to be wealthier, it's related to how hard they're working. Mm. So the harder you work, the more money you've got. But the problem with that is you've only got so much time to work. And so you've got a glass ceiling on how wealthy you can become, which is the trap of the middle class. Correct. So you say the labor will get me rich, but it's not just the labor, it's the logic behind it. It's the thinking, it's the strategy. Actually, the labor will only get you so wealthy. If you want to exceed that, you have to get paid more per hour on the time multiple of money concept. Correct. So the thinking is very important. The thinking is very important. Not only do you have to get paid for your time, you have to increase the amount that you get paid per hour to exceed what your capabilities are. That makes sense. Well, I guess in my case, my parents, they did well and they've worked hard. And they were teachers, right? Yeah, but they were more than that. I mean, they sort of rose beyond that, thankfully. What did they teach? Primary school and dad was a principal in the end, and then mum worked for the department for a bit. You know, they've jumped a class, if you want to use that. Yeah, well, they term. went from teaching in the classroom to being administrators, and that would have increased their pay and their responsibility. Went to uni, got the educations they needed after teachers' college and did the whole thing, you know. But I guess the lesson I learned from them is that just go and get more, and then you worry less. Yeah. Well, what about the idea of your parents borrowing a lot of money to buy a house and then spending their lifetime paying it off? Well, they did that, but they invested too. So they borrowed to invest. Early in life, midlife, later life? Uh, Midlife. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, midlife. And so would you say it's fair looking at the way your parents use their money or following in the same habits? I've played a slightly different game, but I've played similar things as well. So you went to uni? Went to uni. Got uh, a job. Got a job. And then excelled in that job and moved out of in front of the camera to behind the camera. Well, yeah, but it also invested in not just property. Started investing. Do you see any similarities here or am I the only one that's starting to see a a pattern forming? I do things that they wouldn't do. Like I go and take risks that they wouldn't necessarily take. Okay, so why wouldn't they have taken those risks? Fear. Ah, so how have you overcome the fear that they had? What have you done to get around it? I saw it was limiting. 
So I thought, you know what, Phil, if you're in, do it anyway. Say that again slowly. Sorry, I do talk too fast, and people do talk to me about that on the podcast. Feel the fear and do it anyway. It was a famous book, Ooh. but it's about saying, you're going to feel the fear. It's no reason not to do it. So if I go back to journalism, like a lot of the things we did were incredibly risky. I was arrested once and deported from a country and were held under house arrest by the kids with guns and kind of dangerous. You'd never do it if you thought logically, but you feel the fear and you go, well, actually the story's important. I'll do it anyway. You know, so you embrace the fear, put it to one side and move forward and do it. And I've taken that approach to a lot of things. So in terms of the financial choices I've made, some of them have seemed irrational to others, very rational to me, and they've worked out. Okay. What about your kids? What are they learning from you? So what- That's a nutcase, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But you've inherited these habits from your parents and you're passing these habits on to your kids, even if you don't know it, because this is this parental programming, often unconscious, Mm. subconscious, and therefore you are shaping your kids to be like you as you were like your parents. What are they learning? Well, I won't name names, but they have different approaches. One of my kids has a particular anxiety around money generally, which we're working through. But the others, they value education, which I think is still very important in the culture that we currently live. And they're embracing that. They're embracing working harder, but also working smarter. Hmm. Well, I mean, the extra thing that you've added in that you didn't experience, I think, is you've separated once and formed another family. So these this is an experience around kids and parents and money that you didn't have. So they have to come to terms with that. Yeah, it's less of a thing than people think, though, because usually when you repartner, you repartner with somebody who has their own resources anyway. Mm. So it's a hiccup. It's not really a crash, if that makes sense. But again, it's something kids haven't learned. And kids are going to have to get used to it, too, because people are living longer. You know, we don't all die at 60 anymore. We die at 80 or 90, right? So you're going to get, a lot of people are going to have a practice wife or a practice husband. That's just going to happen. Well, it's true. And money is one of these things that is a taboo topic and we don't talk about it. And as we start talking about it, it become quite uncomfortable. And so you've got to try and find a way to get over that fear. Because if you want to get better, just like going and seeing a psychologist and talking about these things helps bring it to light, the same happens with money. Yeah. So what you always say is that just what you inherited, you pass on yeah, to your kids. Yeah. Unless you do something deliberate to not pass it on or to pass on something different. And how do you break that mold? Yeah. Well, you break that mold by changing that parental programming, which will be strong by changing your environmental factors. So how do you do that in practical terms? How do you change your environmental factors? Well, let me talk to you about my mum and my aunt who were identical twins. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Like total identical twins. You look look at photos of them when they were in their early 20s. You can't tell one from the other. That must have been half your dad. I never asked dad, but I I suspect (laughs) so. confused? They had different personalities, but physically they look the same. Yeah, right. But over life, because mum went down one road and married dad and my aunt went down a different road, they had different environmental factors and that shaped them very differently. Tell me about those roads. Well, for mum, she married dad and she was a stay-at-home mum and raised a family, Mm -hmm. taught piano after school for some extra pocket money. My aunt never married and went into being a teacher. Yeah, right. Yeah, so different life paths. And then my aunt's no longer with us. She passed as a result of a stroke and mum is still alive, but they looked very different as life transpired because even though they had the same biological DNA, they had the same parents, their life experience made them look different. Yeah, right. But your auntie never married. Aunt never married. And never partnered. Never partnered. Oh, she had some, towards the end of her life, she reacquainted herself with a a fellow that she met earlier on in life, but no, never married. Hmm. Happiness is, I think, a, a state of mind as much as it is a 
married, unmarried, wealthy, unwealthy. All right. So getting back to your point, though, of course, they had different life experiences. So they, even though they had the same DNA, kind of, right, they actually had very different lives. Yeah. So their habits, even around money, were formed by programming, but then shaped by the environment that they're in. So how do you change your environment? It's what I call a financial intervention. Mm -hmm. How you think. So if you think a certain way and you want to change how you think, import some new ideas, read books, go to seminars. Talk to people instead of just thinking, oh, somehow or other I'm going to magically level up without See, gaining information. that was the point I was making before we started the podcast about sort of thinking differently to my parents. You know, I remember watching them in, you know, good jobs, but they were sort of government jobs and they were paying a certain amount. I remember thinking one day, hang on, if you've got to work, why wouldn't you work in one of those jobs that pays a lot of money, not one that pays a reasonable sum. And, you know, that seems like a revolutionary thought back in the day, but people don't even get that far, do they? Well, it's a trap because you might say, why would I earn $100,000 a year when I can earn $200,000 a year? Why would I be a nurse when I can be a doctor, right? But the problem is a lot of people's income becomes a financial trap because their income leads their lifestyle. And once they're locked into a lifestyle, then they're locked into having to continue to earn that money. That's true, but you're still better off. They're led by the lifestyle. Well, are you? I don't know. I mean, you might have a comfier ride through life, but if you- I'd rather golden handcuffs than like metal handcuffs. What you do with your handcuffs is entirely your own (laughs) business, mate. We're not getting into that. The minute I said that, I knew he'd go there. So financial intervention, how you think, what you think- you know, the physical things about what goes through your mind and then yep. where you think. Yeah, explain that to us. Yeah, well, often where you think. I'm not talking about whether you think in the toilet or the lounge room. I'm talking about the notion of where you think you're going to. Yeah. Like where are you leading yourself? Where's this thinking taking you? Visualising actually an outcome that's different from the one you're in right now. Well, there's lots of people that talk about the importance of thinking before doing, you know, the be, do, have, Zig Ziglar kind of model. Yep. But I always brought it down to this notion of what I learned in advanced driver training, which was that you steer where you look. So if you're driving along and you're about to have an accident and you're looking at the car in front, guess what you're going to hit? Whereas they taught you in advanced driving, look away to where you want to steer to first. Don't look at where you want to hit. Look at where you want to miss. And you steer in that direction. So this notion of where you think is where are you looking and then you're going to head in that direction. Have you had many car crashes? Don't look where you don't want to go. I've had some driving errors that have resulted in damage to cars, but not to an insurance claim level. Excellent. But the looking where you're going is the key to getting out of trouble, yeah? Yeah, well, in this how, what, and where, the where is where you're looking. And so what's the lesson there? The lesson is this. You can change if you want to, but to do so, you're going to have to add something new into the mix. And what did you add into your mix? When I decided I didn't want to be an accountant anymore, I didn't know what was going to be available to swap out the money we were earning by selling our time. Yeah. And so I started going to seminars, some good, a lot bad. Yeah. A lot of the classic get rich quick ones, stand at the front, yell out, negative gearing is nuts or whatever it might be. Yeah. And a little bit cultish and a little bit dangerous. I did stories on a lot of those blokes back in the day, (laughs) exposing them, you know. And a lot of them were blokes. There weren't many women doing it because it was a very male dominated industry back in the day. But a lot of it was, hey, In order for you to get ahead, you've got to buy my investment that I'm selling at the back of the room. Correct. Which is, I always said, mate, if it's that good, you'd be doing it yourself. You would need to sell it. And as I like to say, there's more money selling picks and shovels than panning for gold. But these people were saying, you need to get out and pan for gold. And I've got picks and shovels at the back of the room. Exactly. So they were making more money selling the concept than they were actually doing it. And they knew there was no gold to dig up as well in their particular schemes. That's what annoyed the hell out of me. Whereas I've always said, I teach from what I do. You know, I eat my own cooking, which is a point of difference. 
but seminar after seminar, book after book. Uh, I mean, I traveled around the world chasing people down to go to good seminars. I spent yeah. a lot of money on my financial education. And when you think about it- What did your wife think at that point? Did you think, Steve, you've gone nuts? Is this going to work out? Was there a trust involved there? Ask Jules next time you see her. I should ask her. Yeah. What would she say? She would say, I trusted Steve. She had faith. You gotta have faith. As the great George Michael would have <laughs> you said. You gotta have faith, faith, faith. <laughs> All yeah. right. So you're traveling the world and you became an entrepreneur and stopped being a worker, kinda. A thought came into my mind, which was how much do people pay for a university education these days? Yeah. It'd be a hundred thousand bucks, right? True. And then how much are people willing to pay for a financial education that's actually gonna carry them further through life than just the entitlement into a job? So I think you should look to spend at least as much as what you've spent on your education to get a qualification as you need to spend on your education to get your financial literacy up to a level which is beyond average or poor. Yeah, right. So here I am saying what did Jules think, but in fact, you were doing what everyone does, and that's investing in yourself, right? And spending the money you need to, to get the education around you to live the life you want to live. Or what everyone should do. Well, ask yourself this question. Do you become rich and then spend money on your financial education, or do you spend money on your financial education to become rich? Very good point. Yeah, a lot of people are like, well, when I've got money, I'll invest it into being able to multiply it. It's like, no, you've got to spend the money to learn how to invest the money. So to summarize, by investing in yourself, it sets you up to then go and achieve the things you wanted to achieve in your life. Just like doing a university degree, whether it's a law degree or a medicine degree, you went out and did a degree in your own life about how to become an entrepreneur. There's no fluke that financial pedigree follows the discussion we've had on financial literacy. If you want to get a better financial literacy to improve your financial pedigree, then you need to start investing in yourself before you start investing in other things. Fantastic. That's a great take-home message too, mate. So I think we'll leave it there for now. Great chat. Onwards and upwards. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Money Magnet podcast. If you have questions or would like to provide feedback, then please send an email to podcast at moneymagnet.au. 